This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Lone Star Ranger by Zane Gray. Chapter 14. When Duane reached the crossing of the roads, the name Fairfield on the signpost seemed to be the thing that tipped the oscillating balance of decision in favor of that direction. He answered here to unfathomable impulse. If he had been driven to hunt up Jeff Aiken, now he was called to find this unknown ranger captain. In Duane's state of mind, clear reasoning, common sense, or keenness were out of the question. He went because he felt he was compelled. Dusk had fallen when he rode into a town which inquiry discovered to be Fairfield. Captain McNelly's camp was stationed just out of the village limits on the other side. No one except the boy Duane questioned appeared to notice his arrival. Like Shirley, the town of Fairfield was large and prosperous, compared to the innumerable hamlets dotting the vast extent of southwestern Texas. As Duane rode through, being careful to get off the main street, he heard the tolling of a church bell that was a melancholy reminder of his old home. There did not appear to be any camp on the outskirts of the town. But as Duane sat his horse, peering round and undecided what further move to make, he caught the glint of flickering lights through the darkness. Heading toward them, he rode perhaps a quarter of a mile to come upon a grove of mesquite. The brightness of several fires made the surrounding darkness all the blacker. Duane saw the moving forms of men and heard horses. He advanced naturally, expecting any moment to be halted. "'Who goes there?' came the sharp call out of the gloom. Duane pulled his horse. The gloom was impenetrable. "'One man, alone.' replied Duane. A stranger? Yes. What do you want? I'm trying to find the ranger camp. You struck it. What's your errand? I want to see Captain McNelly. Get down and advance. Slow. Don't move your hands. It's dark, but I can see. Duane dismounted, and, leading his horse, slowly advanced a few paces. He saw a dully bright object, a gun, before he discovered the man who held it. A few more steps showed a dark figure blocking the trail. Here Duane halted. "'Come closer, stranger. Let's have a look at you,' the guard ordered curtly. Duane advanced again until he stood before the man. Here the rays of light from the fires flickered upon Duane's face. "'Reckon you're a stranger, all right.' What's your name and your business with the captain? Duane hesitated, pondering what best to say. Tell Captain McNelly I'm the man he's been asking to ride into his camp after dark, finally said Duane. The ranger bent forward to peer hard at this night visitor. His manner had been alert, and now it became tense. Come here, one of you men, quick he called, without turning, in the least toward the campfire. "'Hello, what's up, Pickens?' came the swift reply. 
It was followed by a rapid thud of boots on soft ground. A dark form crossed the gleams from the firelight. Then a ranger loomed up to reach the side of the guard. Duane heard whispering, the purport of which he could not catch. The second ranger swore under his breath. Then he turned away and started back. Here, Ranger, before you go, understand this. My visit is peaceful, friendly, if you'll let it be. Mind, I was asked to come here, after dark. Duane's clear, penetrating voice carried far. The listening rangers at the campfire heard what he said. No, Pickens, tell that fellow to wait, replied an authoritative voice. Then a slim figure detached itself from the dark, moving group at the campfire and hurried out. "'Better be foxy, Cap!' shouted a ranger in warning. "'Shut up, all of you!' was the reply. This officer, obviously Captain McNally, soon joined the two rangers who were confronting Duane. He had no fear. He strode straight up to Duane. "'I'm McNally,' he said. If you're my man, don't mention your name, yet. All this seemed so strange to Duane, in keeping with much that had happened lately. "'I met Jeff Aiken today,' said Duane. "'He sent me.' "'You've met Aiken!' exclaimed McNelly, sharp, eager, low. "'By all that's bully!' Then he appeared to catch himself, to grow restrained." Men, fall back. Leave us alone a moment. The rangers slowly withdrew. Buck Twain, it's you, he whispered eagerly. Yes. If I give my word, you'll not be arrested. You'll be treated fairly. Will you come into camp and consult with me? Certainly. Twain, I'm sure glad to meet you, went on McNally, and he extended his hand. Amazed and touched, scarcely realizing this actuality, Duane gave his hand and felt the unmistakable grip of warmth. "'It doesn't seem natural, Captain McNally, but I believe I'm glad to meet you,' said Duane soberly. "'You will be. Now we'll go back to camp. Keep your identity mum for the present.' He led Duane in the direction of the campfire. "'Pickens, go back on duty.' he ordered, and Beeson, you look after this horse. When Duane got beyond the line of mesquite, which had hid a good view of the campsite, he saw a group of perhaps fifteen rangers sitting around the fires, near a long, low shed where horses were feeding, and a small adobe house at one side. "'We've just had grub, but I'll see you get some. Then we'll talk,' said McNelly. "'I've taken up temporary quarters here.' have a rustler job on hand. Now, when you've eaten, come right into the house. Duane was hungry, but he hurried through the ample supper that was set before him, urged on by curiosity and astonishment. The only way he could account for his presence there in a ranger's camp was that McNelly hoped to get useful information out of him. Still, that would hardly have made this captain so eager. There was a mystery here and Duane could scarcely wait for it to be solved. While eating, he had bent keen eyes around him. After a first quiet scrutiny, the rangers apparently paid no more attention to him. 
They were all veterans in service. Duane saw that, and rugged, powerful men of iron constitution. Despite the occasional joke and sally of the more youthful members, and a general conversation of campfire nature, Twain was not deceived about the fact that his advent had been an unusual and striking one, which had caused an undercurrent of conjecture and even consternation among them. These rangers were too well trained to appear openly curious about their captain's guest. If they had not deliberately attempted to be oblivious of his presence, Duane would have concluded they thought him an ordinary visitor, somehow of use to McNelly. As it was, Duane felt a suspense that must have been due to a hint of his identity. He was not long in presenting himself at the door of the house. "'Come in and have a chair,' said McNelly, motioning for the one other occupant of the room to rise. "'Leave us, Russell, and close the door. I'll be through these reports right off.' McNelly sat at a table, upon which was a lamp and various papers. Seen in the light, he was a fine-looking, soldierly man of about forty years, dark-haired and dark-eyed, with a bronzed face, shrewd, stern, strong, yet not wanting in kindliness. He scanned hastily over some papers, fussed with them, and finally put them in envelopes. Without looking up, he pushed a cigar-case toward Duane, and upon Duane's refusal to smoke he took a cigar, rose to light it at the lamp-chimney, and then, settling back in his chair, he faced Duane, making a vain attempt to hide what must have been the fulfillment of a long-nourished curiosity. "'Duane, I've been hoping for this for two years,' he began. Duane smiled a little, a smile that felt strange on his face. He had never been much of a talker, and speech here seemed more than ordinarily difficult. McNally must have felt that. He looked long and earnestly at Duane, and his quick, nervous manner changed to grave thoughtfulness. "'I've lots to say, but where to begin?' he mused. "'Duane, you've had a hard life since you went on the dodge. I never met you before. Don't know what you look like as a boy. But I can see what—well, even ranger life isn't all roses.' He rolled his cigar between his lips and puffed clouds of smoke. "'Ever hear from home since you left Wellston?' he asked abruptly. "'No.' "'Never a word?' "'Not one,' replied Duane sadly. "'That's tough. I'm glad to be able to tell you that up to just lately your mother, sister, uncle, all your folks, I believe, were well. I've kept posted, but haven't heard lately.' Duane averted his face a moment hesitated till the swelling left his throat, and then said, "'It's worth what I went through to-day to hear that.' "'I can imagine how you feel about it. When I was in the war—but uh, let's get down to the business of this meeting.' He pulled his chair close to Duane's. "'You've had word more than once in the last two years that I wanted to see you?' Three times, I remember,' replied Duane. Why didn't you hunt me up? I suppose you imagined me one of those gunfighters who couldn't take a dare and expected me to ride up to your camp and be arrested. That was natural, I suppose, went on McNelly. You didn't know me, otherwise you would have come. 
I've been a long time getting to you. But the nature of my job, as far as you're concerned, may be cautious. Duane, you're aware of the hard name you bear all over the Southwest? Once in a while I'm jarred into realizing, replied Duane. It's the hardest, barring Mural and Chesseldine on the Texas border. But there's this difference. Mural in his day was known to deserve his infamous name. Chesseldine in his day also. But I've found hundreds of men in southwest Texas who are your friends, who swear you never committed a crime. The farther south I get, the clearer this becomes. What I want to know is the truth. Have you ever done anything criminal? Tell me the truth, Duane. It won't make any difference in my plan. And when I say crime, I mean what I would call crime, or any reasonable Texan. That way my hands are clean, replied Duane. You never held up a man, robbed a store for grub, stole a horse when you needed him bad, never anything like that? Somehow I always kept out of that, just when pressed the hardest. Duane, I'm damn glad, McNelly exclaimed, gripping Duane's hand. Glad for your mother's sake. But all the same, in spite of this, you are a Texas outlaw accountable to the state. You're perfectly aware that under existing circumstances, if you fell into the hands of the law, you'd probably hang, at least go to jail for a long term. That's what kept me on the dodge all these years, replied Duane. Certainly. McNelly removed his cigar. His eyes narrowed and glittered, the muscles along his brown cheeks set hard and tense. He leaned closer to Duane, laid sinewy, pressing fingers upon Duane's knee. "'Listen to this,' he whispered hoarsely. "'If I place a pardon in your hand, make you a free, honest citizen once more, clear your name of infamy, make your mother, your sister proud of you, will you swear yourself to a service?' any service i demand of you duane sat stock still stunned slowly more persuasively with show of earnest agitation captain mcnelly reiterated his startling query my god burst from duane what's this mcnelly you can't be in earnest never more so in my life i've a deep game I'm playing it square. What do you say? He rose to his feet. Duane, as if impelled, rose with him. Ranger and outlaw then locked eyes that searched each other's souls. In McNelly's Duane read truth, strong, fiery purpose, hope, even gladness, and a fugitive mounting assurance of victory. Twice Duane endeavored to speak failed of all save a hoarse, incoherent sound, until, forcing back a flood of speech, he found a voice. "'Any service?' "'Every service. McNelly, I give my word,' said Duane. A light played over McNelly's face, warming out all the grim darkness. He held out his hand. Duane met it with his and a clasp that men unconsciously give in moments of stress." When they unclasped and Duane stepped back to drop into a chair, McNelly fumbled for another cigar. He had bitten the other into shreds, 
and, lighting it as before, he turned to his visitor, now calm and cool. He had the look of a man who had justly won something at considerable cost. His next move was to take a long leather case from his pocket and extract from it several folded papers. "'Here's your pardon from the governor,' he said quietly. "'You'll see, when you look it over, that it's conditional. When you sign this paper I have here, the condition will be met.' He smoothed out the paper, handed Duane a pen, ran his forefinger along a dotted line. Duane's hand was shaky. Years had passed since he had held a pen. It was with difficulty that he achieved his signature. Buckley Duane. How strange the name looked. "'Right here ends the career of Buck Duane, outlaw and gunfighter,' said McNelly, and, seating himself, he took the pen from Duane's fingers and wrote several lines in several places upon the paper. Then, with a smile, he handed it to Duane. That makes you a member of Company A, Texas Rangers. So that's it, burst out Duane, a light breaking in upon his bewilderment. You want me for ranger service? Sure, that's it, replied the captain dryly. Now to hear what that service is to be. I've been a busy man since I took this job, and as you may have heard, I've done a few things. I don't mind telling you that political influence put me in here, and that up Austin way there's a good deal of friction in the Department of State in regard to whether or not the Ranger service is any good, whether it should be discontinued or not. I'm on the party side who's defending the Ranger service. I contend that it's made Texas habitable. Well, it's been up to me to produce results. So far I have been successful. My great ambition is to break up the outlaw gangs along the river. I have never ventured in there yet because I have been waiting to get the lieutenant I needed. You, of course, are the man I had in mind. It's my idea to start way up the Rio Grande and begin with Cheseldine. He's the strongest, the worst outlaw of the times. He's more than rustler. It's Cheseldine and his gang who are operating on the banks. They're doing bank robbing. That's my private opinion, but it's not been backed up by any evidence. Cheseldine doesn't leave evidences. He's intelligent, cunning. No one seems to have seen him, to know what he looks like. I assume, of course, that you are a stranger to the country he dominates. It's five hundred miles west of your ground. There's a little town over there called Fairdale. It's the nest of a rustler gang. They rustle and murder at will. Nobody knows who the leader is. I want you to find out. Well, whatever way you decide is best, you will proceed to act upon. You are your own boss. You know such men and how they can be approached. You will take all the time needed, if it's months. It will be necessary for you to communicate with me, and that will be a difficult matter. For Cheseldine dominates several whole counties, you must find some way to let me know when I and my rangers are needed. The plan is to break up Cheseldine's gang. It's the toughest job on the border. Arresting him alone isn't to be heard of. He couldn't be brought out. Killing him isn't much better, for his select men, the ones he operates with, are as dangerous to the community as he is. 
We want to kill or jail this choice selection of robbers and break up the rest of the gang. To find them, to get among them somehow, to learn their movements, to lay your trap for us rangers to spring. That, Duane, is your service to me, and God knows it's a great one. I have accepted it, replied Duane. Your work will be secret. You are now a ranger in my service. But no one except the few I choose to tell will know of it until we pull off the job. You will simply be Buck Duane till it suits our purpose to acquaint Texas with the fact that you're a ranger. You'll see there's no date on that paper. No one will ever know just when you entered the service. Perhaps we can make it appear that all or most of your outlawry has really been good service to the state. At that, I believe it'll turn out so. McNally paused a moment in his rapid talk, chewed his cigar, drew his brows together in a dark frown, and went on. No man on the border knows so well as you the deadly nature of this service. It's a thousand to one that you'll be killed. I'd say there was no chance at all for any other man besides you. Your reputation will go far among the outlaws. Maybe that and your nerve and your gunplay will pull you through. I'm hoping so. But it's a long, long chance against your ever coming back. That's not the point, said Duane. But in case I get killed out there, what— Leave that to me, interrupted Captain McNelly. Your folks will know at once of your pardon and your ranger duty. If you lose your life out there, I'll see your name cleared. The service you render, known. You can rest assured of that. I am satisfied, replied Duane. That's so much more than I dared to hope. Well, it's settled, then. I'll give you money for expenses. You'll start as soon as you like. The sooner, the better. I hope to think of other suggestions, especially about communicating with me. Long after the lights were out and the low hum of voices had ceased round the campfire, Duane lay wide awake, eyes staring into the blackness, marveling over the strange events of the day. He was humble, grateful to the depths of his soul. A huge and crushing burden had been lifted from his heart. He welcomed this hazardous service to the man who had saved him. Thought of his mother and sister and Uncle Jim, of his home, of old friends came rushing over him the first time in years that he had had happiness in the memory. The disgrace he had put upon them would now be removed, and in the light of that, his wasted life of the past, and its probable tragic end in future service as atonement, changed their aspects. And as he lay there, with the approach of sleep finally dimming the vividness of his thought, so full of mystery, shadowy faces floated in the blackness around him, haunting him as he had always been haunted. It was broad daylight when he awakened. McNally was calling him to breakfast. Outside sounded voices of men, crackling of fires, snorting and stamping of horses, the barking of dogs. Duane rolled out of his blankets and made good use of the soap and towel and razor and brush nearby on a bench, things of rare luxury to an outlaw on the ride. The face he saw in the mirror was as strange as the past he had tried so hard to recall. 
Then he stepped to the door and went out. The rangers were eating in a circle round our tarpaulin spread upon the ground. "'Fellows,' said MacDelly, "'shake hands with Buck Duane. He's on secret ranger service for me. Service that'll likely make you all hump soon. Mind you, keep mum about it.' The rangers surprised Duane with a roaring greeting the warmth of which he soon divined was divided between pride of his acquisition to their ranks and eagerness to meet that violent service of which their captain hinted. They were jolly, wild fellows, with just enough gravity in their welcome to show Duane their respect and appreciation, while not forgetting his lone wolf record. When he had seated himself in that circle, now one of them, a feeling subtle and uplifting pervaded him. After the meal, Captain McNelly drew Duane aside. Here's the money. Make it go as far as you can. Better strike straight for El Paso. Sneak around there and hear things. Then go to Valentine. That's near the river, and within fifty miles or so of the edge of the Rimrock. Somewhere up there, Cheseldine holds fort. Somewhere to the north is the town Fairdale. But he doesn't hide all the time in the rocks only after some daring raid or hold-up. Cheseldine's got border towns on his staff, or scared of him, and these places we want to know about, especially Fairdale. Write me care of the adjutant at Austin. I don't have to warn you to be careful when you mail letters. Ride a hundred, two hundred miles if necessary, or go clear to El Paso. McNelly stopped with an air of finality and then Duane slowly rose. "'I'll start at once,' he said, extending his hand to the captain. "'I wish I'd like to thank you.' "'Hell, man, don't thank me,' replied McNelly, crushing the proffered hand. "'I've sent a lot of good men to their deaths, and maybe you're another. But, as I've said, you've one chance in a thousand, and by heaven!' I'd hate to be Cheseldine or any other man you were trailing. No, not good-bye. Adios, Duane. May we meet again. End of chapter.